thanks for listening today. Um, this is IIM Innovation in Motion, and our podcast topic is early stage investing. Um, today, we are going to talk about um, how we source deals, how we screen deals, how we finally make an investment decision. So kind of the, the life cycle of when a company comes in front of us to closing a deal. I've got Lee Harris with us. He's our managing member. And my name's Lydia Kincaid. I'm a managing director. Um, so to start out, how do we source deals? We get asked that all the time. Um, and deal flow, as we call it, comes from a lot of different sources for us. We, of course, try and pay really close attention to different accelerators throughout the country, especially in the industries that we focus on, agriculture, animal health, human health. Um, but what's even more important to us are the relationships that we've built um, with investors, and that includes earlier stage and later stage investors from the space that we focus on. We really typically invest in seed to series A companies, but we love to see what earlier stage investors are excited about and what later stage investors are looking for. So we, we see a lot of deal flow from both ends of the spectrum. Um, our investors themselves actually send us a lot of companies that come across their desk too. Um, they're, a lot of them are, are experts in the industries that we focus on. So they see a lot of startups in that space as well. Um, and we're always trying to, to broaden our network and build more relationships with people as well. Um, Cause this really, this business is a lot about relationships, um, if not the most critical piece of this, because we all collaborate and work together. Um, Lee, I mean, I know you also listen to some some podcasts yourself that you hear startups featured on, and we'll sometimes reach out to those directly. Do you want to you know, speak to that and, and what catches your attention when you hear a founder speak? Sure. Well, uh, let's step back for a moment because one of the things that is helpful for us is unlike many angel uh, funding platforms, uh, many of them, and there's nothing wrong with this, it's just a difference of, uh, of approach, but many of them invest in a wide range of, of verticals of different types of companies. And in our case, we are singularly focused on three verticals, and that's animal health, that's human health, and that does not include pharma, uh, human health, and then ag, agriculture. And so it, it makes it easier, actually, for us where deal flow is concerned uh, because we become known in those three verticals to investors and to founders. And as a result, over the years, uh, that's, uh, that's certainly helped than if we were investing in 30 different verticals. Uh, so I think that's a that's a one thing that needs to be said at the outset here. I do listen to a lot of podcasts. I like uh, a wide variety, particularly in the ag space. I, there are not too many animal health uh, podcasts, but uh, we have uh, picked up some ideas, whether it's company specific or whether it's a concept specific. And then we go out looking for that company that, that might be able to deliver on a particular concept. So uh, yes, that is kind of a, a unique approach to, to finding deals. But And I would also uh, tell our audience that one of the things that you're truly amazing at, Lydia, is the way you have networked. Uh, you, you judge uh, some of these pitch competitions. Uh, you're on panels all the time. Uh, and you've become well-known, not just in Kansas City, but throughout the Midwest, for that matter, uh, as an expert in these verticals, 
and uh, leading this uh, this venture we have uh, it's the relationships can't be stressed enough and you've done much more than you take credit for in terms of building those relationships well thanks lee i really do enjoy those sort of activities and it gives us not only access to deal flow, but even more relationships beyond that with the people that I sit next to on those panels and, and the judging groups and that sort of thing. So those are always, always fun. Um, but so once we, once we source deals, then we try to figure out as a team here, which companies are at the top of our list. So some of the things that we look for before we even bring a company in front of our screening committee of investors, we make sure that they're solving a real problem and not only a real problem, but a problem that customers are gonna be willing to pay for. We're not looking for just incremental uh, incremental innovation. We're looking for big changes um, that can be applicable and are interested, um, like the, the customers would be interested in um, paying money for. So we also look for large markets as well. Some of these really niche businesses just aren't really a fit for the type of returns that we're looking for. Um, so that's why we look for really big total addressable markets. We look to see that a company has some sort of moat um, and our investors always ask about that as well, because we believe that's really critical in a business's success. Um, we try to analyze those pieces and more before we even invite a company to pitch at what's called our pipeline calls, which we hold those monthly. Um, we usually have nine or 10 of our investors, sometimes more, who are participating in these. And it's pretty rapid fire. The founder gets about 10 minutes to pitch, 10 minutes for Q&A, and then we're on to the next. And Lee, you're, you're a regular on those. You're on almost every single one, if not everyone. Um, some of our investors, you know, they make it when, when they can, but we always have a great audience um, and a great group of people asking questions. What sort of things do you look for when you're hearing a pitch for the first time? Sure. So, and you touched on it, but you, you mentioned the word moat. And again, differentiation is a critical factor here. Uh, we, we need to make sure that there is enough difference in what product or, or service is being offered by this particular company uh, relative to the competition. And then there's an overlay on on that, which is the intellectual property. So uh, are there patents or are there trade secrets? Are there uh, trademarks? Uh, what, what kind of protection do we have for that, that uh, differentiating element? Uh, those are really important for us to know right up front as soon as possible, because we can check a lot of companies off the list when there's not enough of a moat or there's just nothing, nothing that they can do to protect uh, from competition. Uh, of course, then unit economics are a critical factor for us. We, we want to understand uh, how much does it cost to produce your product uh, in the early stage? Uh, you know, what are you trying to sell it for? Uh, what's your gross margin? Uh, and then we also want people to, to be thinking at the founder level, what's this look like at scale? So if, if it costs you X today to produce that product, on a small small scale, it should cost you X minus substantial, X minus substantial uh, to produce it at scale. And we find sometimes founders uh, are a little fuzzy on the math, and that's a problem for us. Uh, uh, we're not expecting founders, it, again, at the angel early stage to, to have intricate spreadsheets for the next 10 years, uh, because the assumptions are just what that says it's an assumption, but if it's an assumption founded in some kind of realistic fact, uh, that's important for us to see. So if you're a founder wanting to make that kind of a pitch, 
don't come in with no projections, but come in with projections and assumptions that you can back up in some way, shape or form. We know those are going to change down the road, but that's something else we, we're interested in. If we ask what's the customer acquisition cost uh, in the vernacular, it's CAC, C-A-C, uh, you ought to have some kind of an idea if you have been out uh, selling your product. If you haven't been out selling your product and you don't know how much it's going to cost, you ought to try to make some kind of projection. Uh, uh, one of the problems a lot of early stage companies have is at the idea stage without a prototype, an MVP, minimally viable product, is uh, they just uh, they, they, they haven't thought past the idea and it's awful hard to get an idea funded unless it is such a spectacular idea and or a spectacular uh, founder who has had multiple successes along the way. Uh, we're probably going to say it's a little too early for us, and we may give you some ideas on milestones, uh, bring it back to us. We don't generally just close the door permanently, uh, we, and, and we do. I know, Lydia, you and your team follow up on a lot of these companies that are too early, uh, and we've, we've taken an interest in them down the road. But uh, those are some of the basics that we're looking for, differentiation, intellectual property, and protection of, uh, of, uh, of that intellectual, uh, intellectual property. Uh, <clears throat> and then certainly the, the unit economic uh, element here is, is a critical uh, question that we ask. Yep. And you mentioned the founder, Lee. We really haven't talked much about the team. That is so important to us and most other investors as well from the very, very beginning. Um, so that like team component really overlays, I would say, on top of everything else. Like we know these are going to be long term relationships with the founders and we know that these companies um, need to build need to be built by the founder. And so if the founder is not somebody that we can trust, somebody who's a great visionary, somebody who we believe can execute on a business plan, that doesn't create a lot of confidence for us to be able to invest in that person or that team. Um, you know, a lot of times, Lee, we see at the really early stage, it's either a founder or maybe two, maybe it's co-founders and they've got nobody else yet, um, which is okay at the very, very early stage, but we certainly want to see a clear pathway to building their team and who they're thinking about hiring next. What's the plan? What's the timeline? Because we know just one or two people cannot carry a whole company. No, um, and so we want to get to know not only the founders, but the management team as well. And a lot of times their, their team will be involved in our due diligence process, even the very early stages, an introductory meeting or our pipeline call. Um, and certainly as we launch into due diligence, um, we, we really, really value being able to understand the team, what their strengths right. and weaknesses are, what they bring to the table, what the gaps might be, how we can help support their team as they grow. Um, and I know that's really important to you, Lee, as well. Yeah, yeah. One, one, another point on differentiation. Um, it's, it's, we, we heard a pitch the other, just earlier this week, actually, from a founder who when asked the question about the moat or uh, differentiating factors, uh, talked about the relationships within that industry that had been built. And while that sounds great that this particular uh, company and its founder have strong relationships within the, within the industry, it causes concern to us as, as funders because 
uh, are those relationships tied to an individual or is it based on the company? And if it's tied to an individual, the founder, for example, in this particular case, uh, what happens when that founder uh, takes his or her money uh, off the table and, uh, and and moves on at some point in the future on a future round of funding? I mean, is that sustainable as a, as a differentiating factor? Um, that's on one end of the spectrum. Another end of the spectrum is price. So, uh, you know, Geico, Warren Buffett's always talked about the moat around Geico, and it's it's a price moat uh, for the most part. Price is a, it makes the, the product a commodity. If, if, if it's a race to the bottom in terms of uh, the cheapest uh, cost to the c- customer, uh, and that's the main differentiation yeah, that gives us a, a little bit of pause as well, because uh, that means margins are compressed at some point in the future. Uh, and, you know, how, how is that sustainable? So I, I'm dwelling on differentiation, but that's probably one of the, the primary factors we look at as we evaluate companies and how strong is that differentiation? How wide is that mode? Oh, especially when we see several companies who are trying to solve maybe similar problems. Because if if there's a big problem, then there probably are several, if not tens or hundreds of companies trying to solve that problem. So we're trying to figure out who really is the most differentiated, who has the real secret sauce, um, and maybe there's space for multiple winners in a certain sector. Um, Like one, for example, one of our recent investments, Lee, in the patient payments space, we've invested in a company called Rivia Health that's an, an app for patients to more easily pay and have access to their bills from multiple um, sources. And that is a huge problem in the healthcare industry. And there are other startups doing it, but we invested in this company because we felt like what they were doing was really differentiated from some of the other companies in that space. Um, and the, the market sizes in the billions of dollars, of course, Um, So that really checked all of our boxes in terms of what we look for in a company to invest in. So I I feel like that's a great example of a company that we believe is really differentiated to your point um, and could really see success in that space. So once a company makes it through our pipeline calls and we have those, again, we have those monthly, we usually have three companies pitch, um, sometimes one or two make it through to the next round, sometimes none, sometimes all three. But our goal with our pipeline calls is to see what our investor interest is in order to invite a company to our larger bi-monthly full investor member meetings. And those are usually attended by around 30 30 investors um, in our group who are all looking to make an investment decision or at least looking to see if there's enough interest to move forward with our full due diligence process. Um, What we also do, even ahead of the pipeline calls, certainly ahead of our investor member meetings is we try to get individuals in our investor group to weigh in um, on the technicalities and the details of this business. I mean, Lee, you mentioned our industry expertise. Um, That's so critical in our investment decision process um, because we can get input from our investors before we even bring a company to the wider group. So we have somebody who's vetted that company, who's seen a bunch in that space, has expertise, um, has connections in that space as well. Um, and then we, we bring the company, if the company still makes it through that kind of gauntlet, um, then they would get to come pitch in front of our full investor group um, 
So do you want to talk a little bit, Lee, about, about those meetings and what you look for when you see a founder live and it's a little bit longer pitch, a little bit longer Q&A. Um, I mean, you mentioned what you look for on the business side. Are there things kind of reading between the lines, how the founder acts, how they respond to questions? What sort of things do you look for sure. in that interaction? Sure. So uh, we're not expecting founders to be perfect in terms of the way they make presentations. Uh, and often at the very early stage, these company founders, many of them are technical experts, uh, they're scientists, uh, they, these aren't PR people that uh, do a lot of speaking in front of, front of groups and that sort of thing. Uh, but if we can overlook a lot of the, the flaws in presentation, if the content is serious, and if they're able to answer questions in a uh, a good way where if they don't know an answer, they don't try to BS their way through it. They, they say they don't know that they're back to us. There's a lot of body language to read here. Uh, how comfortable are they with not speaking in front of a, of a group of 30 people, but how comfortable are they with the subject matter and how well are they able to answer our questions? And so one of the things about our group that uh, is probably different than a lot of early stage funding platforms and angel groups is the level of domain expertise that we have. And you alluded to that. And because we focus on only three verticals, uh, we've been able to assemble an investor group of, of ag experts, of animal health experts, of uh, medical uh, people in the medical field, doctors, and uh, so on. And so many times in these meetings, these investor meetings every other month, uh, we have very technical discussions. I mean, that's, uh, I, I walk away from those meetings sometimes shaking my head thinking, wow, how smart are the people we've associated with here? Uh, and we get good interactions between founders and our domain experts. Uh, and, it, and it helps lead us down a path for due diligence where if the, if the decision is, uh, is such that we do plan to, to, to investigate a company further, we have some ideas based on those questions that were asked and more questions that arose after. Uh, here are things we need to go back and, and look at further from a technical standpoint. Uh, and we have a good mix, not only of, of domain experts, but also of general people, general business uh, with general business knowledge. Uh, so some of us are, are looking hard at the founder and uh, some of us are looking hard at the, at the business itself. Some of us are looking hard at the science and the technical elements to the product. And you put that all together and it's powerful. And uh, I'm pleased to say that We've made, I think, investments in 16 companies so far. We have several more that are uh, pending. Um, and since 2015, 2016, we've not had a single one of our companies go belly up. Uh, that's very rare in this space because usually uh, at the angel stage, at least half, if not more, of the companies in which an investor invests go go broke. Maybe a couple of them uh succeed, uh, break even, and, you know, very few of them are really successful. And what we're doing with our approach is de-risking our investment uh, with 
with a level of due diligence after these presentations, but not just after, but the, the, the depth that we get into during the presentations uh, that, that give us the comfort that we need to, uh, to, to move forward. Lydia, do you have off the top of your head any statistics on how many pitches we see uh, versus how many companies in which we actually make the investment? So if we back into it a little bit, we've usually been seeing three companies pitch at our bi-monthly meetings, right? So if we take that three times six is 18. So that's what gets in front of our full investor group annually. Um, but we also have monthly pipeline calls. And so that's another three, average three per month that we're seeing. Um, so 36-ish, but I, I would say for every one company that we invest in, we've looked at a hundred. I mean, that's really industry standard. And we, we see that for sure here with our team um, between me and our new venture associate, Nicholas Hentz, between our consulting team. Um, we, we certainly see that number. I mean, I think we've probably seen 400 or 500 companies this year, this calendar wow. year. Um, and so we, sometimes we spend more time on them than others. Sometimes it's like a 30 minute review of a pitch deck or an executive summary or both. Sometimes we spend an hour or more with a founder. I mean, and those companies might not even make it to the pipeline call. Um, so we, we've really seen a lot of deal flow and that continues to ramp up year over year. Um, we see more and more companies each year um, because of those, I mean, I believe relationships that we've built and, and the way that we're looking for companies actively as well. Um, so we do see a lot that's out there. Mm -hmm. So once we get through, um, once we get through our investor member meetings, if our group likes the companies, then we launch our full due diligence process. And we've spent a whole other episode um, talking just about our due diligence process. So I don't think we need to spend too much time today on that, um, we really wanted to focus on the front end of how we source deals and look for deals and vet them today. Um, but if you're interested, take a look at another podcast episode all about due diligence and how to prepare for that process and what we look for, because um, I think founders are really well served to be prepared for a due diligence process um, before they even go out to raise capital. The worst thing is that we send over a due diligence checklist and then we don't hear from the founder for another month and they're still not ready with their documents yet. And that really sinks a deal pretty fast. Um, so from beginning to end, you've heard, you've heard a little bit about our process today. Thanks everyone for listening and we look forward to doing the next one. Mm -hmm.